Welcome to Under the Radar, a show about independent iOS app development. I'm Marco Arment. And I'm David Smith. Under the Radar is never longer than 30 minutes, so let's get started. So this week, something momentous happened in the underscore David Smith empire. Yay! You released Sleep Plus Plus 3.0. And in my opinion, now you didn't tell me to say any of this, in my opinion, this is so different and so much better than what you had before that it's it's almost like a 1.0. It's almost like a brand new app, you know, or like a sequel. I guess that's maybe that's what 3.0 means. But, <laughs> but like, it, it's so much better because in in the previous versions of Sleep Plus Plus, so th- this is an app that lets you uh, track and get reports on and data on your sleeping patterns and, you know, the duration of your sleep uh, by wearing an Apple Watch all night. Uh, is, that, is that a safe uh, summary? Yes. Yeah. Uh, th- that is the essential. It's using use your Apple Watch to track your sleep. Which which is totally a thing that like if, if this sounds ridiculous or impossible to you or if it seems like the battery uh, won't make it through, this is totally a thing that is possible and that a lot of people do. Uh, it's it's not incredibly straightforward to do, but you, with like a couple of modifications to how and when you you charge the watch, uh, it's it's very possible. Or if you just have an old watch that like if you've upgraded to one of the more recent ones and you have an old model still sitting around, you know you can you can do do the double watch thing, day watch, night watch. Uh, anyway, so the previous version of sleep plus plus uh would rely on you telling it when you were sleeping and when you woke up and the the, the new 3.0 version automatically detects when you're asleep and you don't have to enter that data in because it's reading it in in i guess is it reading health uh, and like heart patterns and stuff like how is it actually doing this or is that a trade secret I mean, it's not. A, I mean, it's, it's. There's only a couple ways you could do it, so it's not a big secret in that regard. But I'm, I take the heart rate data, active calorie data, and step data uh, that is always being collected by an Apple Watch, and I take those three data points, and then I can use those to infer um, information about your sleep. So it's not as precise in terms of like working out exactly when you fell asleep. Uh, the previous version, you hit a button that said, I'm about to go to sleep. So that gave me a lot of clues as to when you went to sleep. Uh, whereas in this, for this version, I have, I'm just looking at this data and I have a whole bunch of, you know, algorithms to kind of analyze it and partition it so that I can say, it looks like right here is when you, you know, went to bed and here's when you fell asleep. And then uh, conversely, you know, it's like, this seems to be the period where you woke up on the other end. Um, and I can kind of use that to get you close. And based on my testing, it's like, I've been able to get it so that it's, it's usually right to within maybe 10 minutes on either end, which for all practical purposes is good enough for something like this. Certainly for the, the gain of convenience of it just sort of magically happening with you doing nothing. And, um, you know, sort of if you, all you have to do is wear your watch while you're sleeping and, you know, it's sort of, it is, it's able to do the rest, which is, is much more convenient. I don't think the previous way was necessarily more accurate because, you know, not only would you occasionally forget to tell it, I'm going to sleep now, but like you might hit, I'm going to sleep now and then unexpectedly not really fall asleep for a while, you know? And so like it, this, I don't think this is less precise. In fact, this might be more precise because this is measuring like what like, you know, your heart rate and movements and everything are actually doing as opposed to relying on, you know, the, the, the fragile, forgetful uh, human to tell it what it's doing. Yeah, I mean, the only advantage of the old version is that, um, and the reason why I initially made it so that you had to say start and stop is because of a limitation in core motion, uh, where uh, initially, certainly in watchOS 2, I think it was, when or 2 or 3, when I first was able to do this, 
they added the APIs for background motion tracking. Um, you could only set it to record for a 12 hour period at a time. Um, so like you would tell core motion, Hey, I want you to record the user's motion for the next so many hours. And the max you could do was 12 hours, um, which meant that I kind of had to renew their request for data. It's, you know, essentially every night because otherwise, um, I wouldn't have access to it. And the advantage of that is I got like 50 Hertz motion data back about the user. So I was very precisely able to analyze, um, what you were doing and your movement. Whereas with the health stuff, it's all derived from the same thing. Like it's still ultimately, you know, there's an accelerometer on the Apple watch that is doing all these, taking all these measurements. And then I'm, you know, the health data is like the second order effects of that. Whereas before I was able to just analyze the raw data. So it's, I don't know. I mean, the reality is the automatic version is just so much better once you get used to it that it's in some ways it's slightly immaterial as to which one's more precise or which one's better because I mean, even for myself as someone who has, you know, manually tracked every night of my sleep for the most part for the last like three years, um, it's like, it's a, it's a night and day now that it's like, it just happens. And every morning I, I wake up, I unlock my phone. And the first time you unlock your phone, um, when it unlocks the health database, it does the analysis in the background and then, you know, pops up a, a sleep summary. So it's a totally better way to do it. And it's just one of these like, yep, nope, this is the right way to do it. I should, in some ways I probably should have been doing this for a long time, but, um, but either way now it's, you know, it's, it's finally gotten there and it's really cool. So I have only one question in your screenshot in your blog post you claim to have gone to bed at 8 37 p.m now i know you're a very disciplined person way more than me but do you actually go to bed at 8 30 p.m i i do sometimes really not all the time kind of impressive <laughs> yeah i mean i think it, it speaks more to how early i wake up than to uh, anything else that i typically wake up at about five o'clock in the morning and so uh, I am often tired at that point. And so it's, it works out that way to just sort of be able to, you know, I think I usually go to bed after nine, between like nine and nine thirty. but there are definitely days where I'm just like, okay, well, I'm tired now. So I'm going to go to sleep and that can be as early. I, th- I think if I look at my testing data, which is kind of funny that I have exactly when I went to bed, you know, every night for for years now it's like there are definitely some like you know seven forty-five, eight o'clocks in there too so um, i'm just kind of like an old an old man i guess do you think when you actually become an old man you'll you're gonna like go to bed maybe before noon even like how how far back do you think it will shift just 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 just, just i'm just perpetually sleeping basically <laughs> like i just just, just I usually i'll just spend my whole time sleeping you're awake um, every just, day from three thirty in the morning until 11 in the morning <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's it's my day just shifts completely. I'm just shifting into a yeah. different time zone. I'm gradually going out <laughs> over the Atlantic. Watch the prices uh, right and slowly drift off to sleep. <laughs> perfect. <laughs> That's fantastic. All right. So I, I think one of one of my big um, questions about this, and we talked a little bit about this in the past, is like this is basically completely changing the app. And I, and I know there were other apps in the store that were competitive with yours that had an automated, an automated approach. Is that one of the main drivers here? Or was it just like you figured out how to do it? Uh, so the awkward thing with this feature is that so sleep plus plus when i first when it first launched was a 
um, and this is probably the more instructive part of the story is like, it's, it was, I was, I think the first Apple watch sleep tracker, like when it first came out, like in my, in my sort of classic way where I saw this new API for core motion, I dived into it and I started working on it. Um, and it, when I launched, it was like, there was a bunch of iPhone based sleep trackers where the ones where you like put it under your pillow or there's some that you like, it listens with a microphone next, you know, to, to hear your breathing patterns. Like there's all kinds of, there was that kind of thing, but specifically apple watch focused um it was one of the early ones and the thing that i always had in the back of my mind though is when i was working on this feature is that it it seems inevitable that apple is going to add this to the apple watch themselves um and so i always had in the back of my mind as i've been working on sleep plus plus that it's like i'm kind of working to this deadline where at some point um the app is just kind of going to become much less appealing. I mean, it's certainly there's a market for apps, you know, you know, certainly Overcast is an example of this where there can be a, fr- a free first party version of something and third party apps can still do well. But I think in this case, it's it was it was it's always in the back of my head been this thing that's uh, been kind of this existential threat. And so I I I kept sort of putting off and working on other apps, working on other projects. Um, making Sleep Plus Plus better. And certainly once there are other apps that took the automatic approach, they certainly, this is certainly one of these things of it's like, well, clearly this is possible. Like I kind of always guessed that it was possible, but that certainly confirmed the fact and established that. And honestly, in a lot of ways made Sleep Plus Plus less appealing. Um, it still has been able to sustain a reasonable amount of interest, but you know, it's, it's less of less appealing of an app. And I just at a certain point, it was like, well, you know, at a, at, Either I need to just accept the fact that one day, maybe this June, who knows, Apple is going to um, in- introduce sleep tracking to the Apple Watch. And maybe at that point, my app will be less uh, less appealing or less useful. Maybe that's the case. Maybe not. Maybe when they do that, uh, maybe it'll just change how uh, Sleep Plus Plus is is useful. You know, maybe Apple just stores that sleep data into the health database, and they need something. You know, so Sleep Plus Plus could become a viewer for that. Like I have lots of things along those lines, but at a certain point, the app just wasn't competitive, and it wasn't interesting or compelling. And so I just decided it's like one way or the other, if either I need to sort of kill this app because I'm not really working on it or I need to make it as good as it can be. And in this case, I decided to take the like, well, let's just spend a couple of months. Let's make the app as as awesome as I can make it and we'll see what happens. And if this, you know, if this fall, this all kind of falls apart, well, at least I've got between, you know, now and this, now in September for, for, for the app to do well and hopefully kind of recoup <laughs> the investment of time that I've put into it. What's the monetization model here? Um, so the app is free. There's a little ad, a banner ad on the main screen, and then there's a, an optional in-app purchase to remove ads and support development. So um, it's that kind of sort of, it's the same model that I use in uh, Pedometer Plus Plus and a bunch of my other apps where it's kind of, it's it's free up front with some kind of uh, optional in-app purchase and a little bit of ads. See, one thing I love about this app, and and I mean, it's, it's not to 100% effect because of the nature of not most people wear Apple Watches all night to track their sleep, before they're using an app like this but i love that when you you know because this is reading from the health database if for some reason you have been using an apple watch to track your sleep every night this automatically pulls in the latest 30 days of data as soon as you launch it for the very first time like so like most apps you know or many apps that are you know this kind of like you know personal measurement kind of thing you start from nothing you start with no data. And so you, you launch the app and there's a very slow build over a very long amount of time before it starts giving you like useful insights. But you can read 30 days worth of data. I assume it's just a HealthKit feature, right? 
Sure. I mean, I could go all the way back to like forever. Um, I went to 30 days just because I find that so much more practical limit. Um, and like it's, but yeah, it is very cool that you, you launch the app and then like there's the last month's worth of data. If you, A, if you've been using a competitor's app, which means you were wearing your Apple watch over overnight anyway, or you just happen to be a lot of people I know use an Apple watch for this a silent alarm so they can wake up at a particular time without, you know, waking someone else in, in bed with them. And so if you've been doing that anyway, just for the reason of, you know, having it tap you on the wrist in the morning, you, all this data is just sort of like they're waiting for you. Oh, yeah, because you don't you don't have to, like, have started, like, I don't know, a, a sleep workout or whatever. Like, yeah. you don't have to have told the watch why you're wearing it at night. You just have to have been wearing it at night for some reason. Exactly. Like, that, that, that's the whole sort of crux of this is when I like the whole project started, like the first thing I did was to sit down and be like, what does the Apple Watch always collect? Like, it, what what data types um, are is it collecting? And really, it's steps, active calories, and heart rate. Um, and then, to some degree, it has that like Apple stand hour thing where you know it t- tries to work out if you stood for more than a minute in in an hour. But the, for my purposes, that wasn't actually useful. Um, but those three data points are like always being collected by every Apple Watch forever. So um, I, I can always I can always tr- rely on those things being collected, um, no matter what the state the the watch was in. As long as it was powered up and on your wrist, that data is coming in. Could you use the stand hours in the future to make Sleepwalk Plus <laughs> Plus? Well, it's uh, there is actually a slightly, a slightly funny thing there where I have every now and th- there was a bug. I think it was in WatchOS four point one where the Apple Watch was starting to give people stand hours in the middle of the night, <laughs> um, and I actually ran into this because of Activity Plus Plus, which tracks stand out. Which one of the things it does is track stand hours, and so I got all these bug reports when four point one came out that all these people were starting their day with two stand hours. Um, and I look at their data and it's like, yep, nope. It's like the data's there. It's definitely <laughs> doing it. So yeah, but stand hours, I turn, turns out not a great data source. The other ones, they're actually reliable and useful. Sorry, blue ring studs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. We are brought to you this week by Zojo, X-O-J-O, Zojo. Zojo is a cross-platform development tool for creating native apps for the desktop, mobile, web, and even Raspberry Pi. Zojo currently supports macOS, Windows, Linux, iOS, and coming soon, even Android. With Zojo, you write just one version of your app, say, for instance, on the Mac. And then you can you can do what we all like joke about being impossible, which is you can literally just check a checkbox, and then you have a Windows version. Like it's, it's that easy. And Zojo uses completely native controls, so your app looks at home on every platform. You'll be able to build apps 10 times faster, which will save you tons of time and money. Zojo is great for everyone, from newbies to professional developers. It's currently used by over 300,000 developers worldwide, from students to Fortune 500 companies. Go take a look at their site and you will see just how many companies you know use Zojo. It's free to use and then licenses are required to build standalone applications. So to learn more, go to zojo.com slash radar. That is xojo.com slash radar. And listeners can get 20% off any license with the code radar. Thank you so much to Zojo for their support of this show. So I, I know like making this app, you know, you, you, you run into a lot of uh, challenges um, with just like the the mechanics of getting health kit access and stuff like that. Can you walk us through that? Sure. So one of the things about like, I mean, I'm a lot of my apps at this point deal with health and fitness data. And I think this is an interesting topic because it's, it's it causes a lot of really interesting design decisions that you have to make um, if you interact at all with any kind of privileged um, data or, or permission on, on an iPhone, because 
almost all of these follow the pattern now where you have to request the user's permission um, to access whatever it is. Um, and then you know, at some point, and typically you only get one opportunity to request it. Uh, and subs- if subsequently the user doesn't give you permission, then you have to somehow tell them to go to the settings app or, you know, somehow get them to do it. Or in the case of the HealthKit app, you actually don't know if they gave you permission or not, um, because as as best I can understand, they consider that to be a a privacy question that if, if the user declines, then they're not actually going to tell you. All that will happen is your queries will return you know, give you no data, but you don't necessarily know if they're giving you no data because there is no data or because they said you couldn't have access to the data. But anyway, in Sleepless Plus, I've found that I've had to navigate this a lot because the, I'm trying to think, I think there's at least four different types of things that I request access to. Um, So the legacy version, the like motion tracking version, requests access to access your motion data um, on your phone or watch. Um, The new version uh, will now also ask, you have alternatively, you will need to ask for HealthKit access to read steps, active calories, and heart rate. There's a feature in the app that lets you write um, sleep analysis data back into HealthKit. So, you know, once I take my data and I process it, I can write back into HealthKit when you went to sleep, when you were awake, uh, that kind of information. And then also now that you can get a morning sleep notification that says, you know, hey, you know, here's what your previous night looked like, um, I need to request permission to get to send you notifications. So one approach you could take to this, um, sort of like the naive approach, and you often see this, um, I find this in a lot in like games where it just drives me crazy, but um, is the the first time you ever launch the app, you just kind of get this barrage of notifications asking you for stuff yeah because like every tutorial out there of like how do you get push notifications working they all have you just put the request thing in application to finish launching so yeah. like literally the very first time the app launches and immediately upon launch you get all of those dialogues all from like people just copy and pasting from tutorials and not really giving it a lot more thought of like when should i ask for this or how should i ask for this like so the, it's all just in did finish launching and it's which is awful like as a from a user experience perspective because i mean maybe it's 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 the perspective i take but i i want if i want my user to give me access to the stuff because they trust me that i've established at least some base level of competence that um that they're not just like blind i'm not really i'm not just like trying to bank on the fact that half the time people won't use it and 50 50 they'll just like push the button i want um like that's really not what I want. I want them to make a choice. I want them to think like, you know, I'm going to give you permission to do this because you're going to give me something that um, is useful for me. And so while it's a lot easier to take that approach uh, to just kind of like just throw up a whole bunch of privacy, op, op, you know, privacy requests, um, it's not great. And it's also just it's also really tricky for a situation like this where there's multiple ones that are possible within the app. So even worse is when like one pops up and then another one pops up and then another one pops up. Like um, you'll sometimes see this where you have like it requests your notifications, then it'll do a one for your uh, location or that kind of thing. Like it's just, I, I, what I, I really don't like that approach. And so instead what I've had to do and it's kind of when it, the way I, the approach that I've found to do is I've worked out ways to structure my app such that, requesting permission or privacy or any of those things is always the result of the user actively making a making a choice um, that they're always going to push a button or flip a switch 
um, in the application. And when they do that, the result of that, them saying, I want this feature turned on, um, is to then ask for privacy or whatever the relevant permission is. You know, so for example, when you first launch the app, you know, there's no request for anything, but there's a, a message that explains, uh, how sleep tracking works or how automatic sleep tracking works. And, Below that, there's a little option that just says, you know, would you like to enable sleep tracking? And it's a little UI switch. And as soon as you flip that switch, it'll then pump the, the dialogue and ask for access to read your health data. And it also will also ask if it can write your sleep analysis data into it. Uh, because I figure there, I may as well combine those two together because you are they kind of go together. But in general, it's, you know, you said, I want to turn this on and it pops up. Similarly, if you go into the settings area and you want to turn on the morning sleep summary notification, as soon as the first time you flip that switch, it'll pop up and, you know, ask for your permission to turn on notifications. Or if you want to use the uh, manual mode, uh, which requires your motion, the core motion privacy permission, the first time on the watch, uh, when you push the start sleep button, it'll prompt you there and say, would you like to give me permission to access your motion data? And it's that approach of kind of it's making it this two-step thing I found works pretty well. Like I, in general, I rarely have a situation. It certainly does happen, but it's pretty rare where I get the, the customer support question saying, um, you know, I, it isn't working and it turns out it's because they turned off permissions. Um, and I think that's largely because in general, people are, it's, you know, they're in a mind space where they want to give the app permission. And so it works better in that way rather than, doing it in this sort of more blind, amorphous, kind of aggressive way where I think people are more likely to turn it off. And honestly, it's probably going to cause more trouble for me down the road um, just because, you know, the people aren't going to have it turned on. And if you don't have, you know, health permission turned on, if when that thing popped up and you didn't know what was going on and you just hit cancel, um, then the app won't work. And then you get support emails and one-star reviews. Yeah. and But I think I understand, I can sort of see why. I think certain apps just do it anyway because they want to get the notification permission for example for not for like nefarious reasons that they want to be able to send you hey you had looks like you haven't used the app in a while maybe you want to come back like they want to send you those kind of notifications and if they pop it up at the you know in did finish launching and for 25 percent of people they just hit okay and um that works fine like that's a different approach. But for me, it was certainly something that it's taken a lot of hard work. It's taken a lot of thoughtful design to make that happen and to, you know, to work out ways to structure things such that there's always a user action and a user's intent that um, is causing the permission to happen. And so, you know, it's a recommendation that I think I can make that it's, it's even though it's a little bit more complicated and a little bit more thoughtful that you have to be in your design, I think you end up with a much higher level of like user trust that, I'm never asking you for something unless you ask me for it first. Um, and then it's also just beneficial because it ultimately, I think, reduces your support burden by people actually saying, yes, I do want to turn that on because, you know, it's like I'm not, I'm not asking you for your permission. If anything, you're asking me to turn the thing on uh, for you. So it, it kind of turns it around in that nice way. And you can also do smart stuff like if they, you know, if you're showing a screen that's like, you know, enable this setting and, you, you know, you tap enable and it pops up the box. If they say no then you can also disable that switch in your app, like turn it back off. So like there's, so you don't, you can always check that status and there's never a disconnect between I have this turned on in the app. Why is it not working? And it's because they declined the permission. Like you can keep that in sync. You can have the UI respond when they decline permission 
to show them that, okay, well, now the setting can't be turned on. And then then they know, like, okay, well, maybe I should turn it back on and then allow it this time. Yeah. And I, and I think that there's so many of these patterns there where it's it's just nice to – it's nice also to just kind of have this sense of gradual – like – gradual expansion of the capability of the app i think is also kind of useful which is sort of what you're talking about where it's like teaching the user um to where things are in the settings for example Like, like they went and they turned it on but it isn't too much too fast like it isn't the app doesn't do all of its features all at once it starts off more straightforward more you know sort of simplistically and then expands out from there um i think is also a nice thing and so you have the advantages like you said of like you're making it there's this very direct thing and if you pop it up and they say no you can immediately update your settings area in a place that they know where to go and find um the details about it and so like that kind of works it just it's just it's a pattern that i think just works so much better and i wish more apps would do it rather than you know every time i see a, a permission prompt the very first time i launch the app i always think like, this is just the worst way to do it and the last you know half the time it's like no i don't and then i'll just delete the app or i'll go away unless it's something that i really need to use um because it, it just sort of shows this fundamental lack of concern or consideration about you know that, that they're not taking that privacy request uh, very seriously yeah or like you know they just aren't necessarily very thoughtful about the user flow of their app like they put it into finish launching and that's it and like the, they you know like, like so with overcast i do something kind of in the middle of that and you <laughs> sure. what you're doing is is the best way to do it I, I i implemented push notifications literally like forever ago like in version 1.0 and, and so I do it not in did finish launching, uh, but I do it upon login. So Overcast requires an account, and so you log in, uh, and then it kicks you into the main interface. And after the login is when I prompt for notifications. Now, that's not ideal. The ideal time to do it would be if I had like a little like intro screen. It's like, okay, you've logged in. Now, do you want notifications on? Yes or no. And then if you hit yes, then ask, you know, similar to what you're saying. Like, that would be the ideal way to do it. I have not yet built one of those, like, intro screens yet, but I keep, like, like every every major version, I keep having, like, a couple more reasons why I should probably build one of those. And so I probably will start doing that at some point soon because there's a, there, I have a number of, like, good, like, customer service reasons why I should probably have one of those intro screens and not to, like, draw the arrows on the interface to show people where buttons are but just you know basically like to set common global settings that not everyone agrees what they should be so like i think you know one of them would be like do you want episodes to download or stream like that's a big one and i could explain in like two sentences on that screen like you know downloading will always be available streaming you'll save space on your device like you know like there's stuff like that that i could do and then if you're if you just logged in and you want things to stream in the current setup it defaults to download and so you log in, you don't actually want to start filling up your phone, but as soon as you log in and it syncs that data, it's going to start downloading stuff. And so it's going to start filling up your phone. <laughs> and so and that, that's that's what most people want, but it isn't what all people want. So like, you know, there's reasons for me to make this, you know, kind of intro screen. But anyway, um, so yeah, the way you're doing it is is great because like you you first explain why they would want this feature. You explain why you're about to ask for this thing. And then you ask for that thing. And, and like, if you look around the app store at, like, major apps, like, big, you know, big name apps that have presumably done lots of, like, A-B testing and metrics and everything else to see, like, what drives the most X, they all do that. They all will, like, explain why they're about to show you a dialogue that asks you for something, and then they show the dialogue. 
And usually they'll explain it in a way that's like, you know, for this to work, you're about to see a notification screen and, and you know, and you have to approve that for us to be able to do this for you. Like it's, if you look at any major app, they all do that. And for very good reason, because like that, that works better. It's nicer for the users. It gets more people to say yes. It reduces support problems. It's just better for everybody if you can do it. And not every app can do that easily, but I but a lot more of them can than currently do. <laughs> yeah, and I think moreover, it's just it's just something to be really thoughtful about. That it's like it's it's an area that I think you can endure yourself to your user by being respectful of them. And like building that level of trust is, especially for, I mean, honestly, like a lot of apps like ours where it's, in some ways, the business model is based on a certain amount of goodwill. Like finding opportunities to create goodwill is just always a good idea, I think. And like this is being respectful is a great way to develop goodwill as well as just being the right thing to do. Well, congratulations on the launch of Sleep Plus Plus 3.0. You can find this on the App Store presumably by searching for Sleep Plus Plus. Or if the App Store search sucks today, go to david-smith.org and look at the blog post there, and that, that links right to it. Um, so yeah, congrats on the launch. This is awesome. It's, this is a huge update. Um, and if people want, if you can give a 15-second version of how do people sleep all night with their Apple Watch and the battery doesn't go dead? Sure. I mean, the, the simple version is get a Series 3 watch, and this just won't be an issue <laughs> for you. They, they last for a very long time. If you have an older watch, you can still do it. Um, what, what you find is you just, whenever, anytime you're not wearing your watch for another reason, like taking a shower, getting red dressed, those types of situations, uh, just put immediately put it on a charger. And I found that even with the Series 0 watch, um, you know, if you charge it for, say, 30 minutes, 45 minutes in the morning, maybe 30 minutes at night when you're getting ready for bed, um, you'll be able to get, you'll, you'll sort of get through the day just fine uh, because the Apple Watch is pretty good at uh, using very little battery overnight. And so you're not actually incurring that big of a loss. So that's just, once you, once you kind of get into those habits that if you're not wearing your watch, it's on the charger, um, you won't have any trouble. Cool. Thanks for listening, everybody. And we'll talk to you next week. Bye.